1: Hello, and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast all about a chameleon called Danny Moran, who falls from his owner's terrarium and becomes stranded in the desert. He meets an armadillo and a terrifying red hawk, and then he meets an iguana called Sam Foster, who takes him to the town of Dirt, populated entirely by animals. Like, non-human animals, because humans are animals as well. Some cowboy stuff is going to happen, some Chinatown stuff is going to happen, the whole thing is going to have a bit of a Jodorowsky, Jim Jarmusch vibe but with funny animals. Uh, your children will go mad for it. It's what I would be saying if this was a adaptation of the 2011 animated film Rango, starring Johnny Depp. Instead, it's just a podcast in which we talk about and review films. I'm Sam Foster, and joining me, a quirky chameleon with the voice of a man who drinks whiskey and respects Australians, Danny Moran.
2: Hey, Australia's a beautiful place. It must be protected. <laughs> uh, hello, on this bumper edition of Film Chat, we review three indie films that were made with budgets that were probably less than what Samuel Jackson spends a year on Kangol hats. First off, I review acclaimed documentary All This Panic, all about a group of teenage girls growing up in New York. It's a film that confirmed my long-held suspicion that puberty for women might not be the best of times or the blurst of times. Then, me and Sam review the horror film The Eyes of My Mother, which is basically like a Chanel ad version of the grimmest game of Cars Against Humanity ever. We'll be telling you if we thought the film was shit, we did. Whether it's (laughs) worth seeing, do not see this film. Then we tackle Operation Avalanche, a period mockumentary conspiracy thriller about a group of FBI agents faking the moon landing. This is director Matt Johnson's follow-up to his breakout debut film The Dirties. But is it a small step or a giant leap forward in being... Good at making films. There he goes. Stay tuned to find out. Plus, we investigate what role Robert Downey Jr. will be playing in the two-week period every year when he's not Iron Man. We give you all the info on intriguing-sounding new British thriller. And we interrogate the somewhat dubious moral lessons of fairy tale films. All of which should leave me just enough time to my latest impression. Al Pacino playing Del Boy Trotter reenacting that scene where he falls through the bar. <laughs> oh, I think we're on a winner here, trig Alright, play nice and cool, son. Nice and cool, you know what I'm... Oh, oh no, I've fallen through a bar! Ah! Oh. <laughs>
1: Hoo-ha! Films, 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 lots of films, 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 movies. Good films, bad films, fun films, sad films, films we love, weird films, laws, trier films, old films, new
2: films, some John Woo films Films that star Peter Finch, Films by David Lynch Films, short films, six hours long We've got films up
1: to your gills With films, 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 films movies Are you feeling comfortable? Film chat has begun little sneaky bit of correspondence this week from Dugal mcqueen he says hello which is a very friendly way to begin a message so the best film of the 21st century is already being made or maybe not depending on brexit affected plasticine imports this is a comment accompanying a trailer for the new R animations film early man starring tom hiddleston dogo goes on to say what's the point anymore will spielberg kill himself is ava duvernay going to become a horse dentist Is Film Chat going to turn into a potato grower's drive-time show in which Robbie's Party Like a Russian fades inelegantly into a Lincolnshire blight forecast? Let me know now.
2: Wow, it was a very good trailer. I found it charming. I found it very charming as well. The odd men always make good films. Even the ones people don't think are good, I think are great. Flushed Away was not... Flushed Away was a good movie. It was a good movie. Pirates is good. Pirates is, yeah, Pirates is really good. And unlike
1: Flushed Away, but like Pirates, this one is stop-motion animated, which is better. Yeah, absolutely. The computer animation, you got a bit more of the sweat, blood, tears, and elbow grease of uh, the people making the movie on screen. You know, it always looks like it took an insane amount of effort, and the, the lightness of touch that they managed to bring, and like, the sort of physicality of it, and the um, slapstick humor is so effective, uh, just turns all that sort of cartoon nonsense into a sort of work of art, whereas you imagine some like poor professional spending months and months yeah, yeah. slowly adjusting little arms to get exactly the perfect banana slippage.
2: Yeah, Aardman Films is a company where I would see any film they made. Like, with Pixar, I would not particularly want to see Cars free or whatever. Yeah. But if it was Aardman's Cars, where it's Claymation, that is more appealing to me.
1: Well, Aardman hasn't diluted their quality it's brand true. with sequels in the same way.
2: It's true. Um, They're so idiosyncratic and yeah. such a little cottage industry. Did obviously.
1: you see Arthur Christmas? No. That's one. That's a hole in my Aardman viewings. Well, we'll have to check that out before we watch early man
2: yeah yeah we gotta we gotta check that out
1: we got we gotta check that shit out man after christmas it's it's definitely one. i mean that kind of falls into a category you're talking about where like i would have no interest in that movie except the fact that it's an art man animation yeah exactly i think that might be one of the computer generated ones as well no. but, but still flushed no. away is good it's got those funny mime frogs it's got some good stereotypical french humor you know yeah some Le good frog. jokes about french people that i that i that i found hilarious
2: voiced by Jean reno
1: I hate the French now because of Brexit.
2: Yeah, they Brexited us, right? That's what happened.
1: Well, they're just more foreign than they used to be. You know, we've we've pushed them away. They're like out of the picture. Sorry, we've become the supreme uh, crown jewel island that we were born to be, and we've thrown off the shackles of the other countries. I
2: never really got past the Battle of Hastings, personally. Me neither, really. Holding that grudge for ages. Yeah. William the Conqueror. Fuck off, mate. Fuck
1: off. That's why I'm opposed to (laughs) the British royal family. Because they've got that German and French, like, Norman blood. Oh, God. You know, stretching back generations. Yeah. And Where's... even, even to be honest with you, even the Anglo-Saxons are a bit too foreign for me. I never really got over, like, the Viking invasion.
2: Me neither. I mean, bring back Ethelred the Unready, is what I say. I agree. <laughs> bring him back ASAP. <laughs> Where's Ethelred's family? He must have a lineage somewhere. Yeah. Actually,
1: anyone who's got Roman heritage, I find a bit objectionable. Yeah, so. I never really got over the invasion of Caesar. I'm really more of a... Uh, Pre, I'm a more of a druidic, Celtic kind of, uh, yeah. na- you know, white nationalist.
2: If you're not covered in woad, I don't want to know you.
1: Yeah, you better be covered in woad, and that better be backed up by your DNA. All right, or your not your DNA, your genetic history, or whatever. Yeah. I don't know the biology behind it, but all right, I'm not an expert in the ra- <laughs> the racist science that I'm relying on. But
2: <laughs> listen, I'm not a racist scientist. Okay, I'm just <laughs> okay. a racist.
1: I'm just a I'm exactly. I don't have technical knowledge to justify. You know, I don't know how to measure a guy's skull to determine his purity. All right, I don't know. All I'm saying is that it is correct. All I'm saying is if you measured mine, it would be like it'd be great. It would be so good. All right. Yes, it's I'm so half American. Great. All right, but that half just comes all the way back to uh, Celtic druids. <laughs> it's just uh, it's not really foreign. It's just visiting, and that is why Early Man is gonna be the best film ever made for racists like you and I. Because it depicts a time of greater racial purity in an earlier stage of the human race, after they left Africa, but and become white, uh, but um, uh, you know, but not too uh, late on. Yeah, that the sweet the, spot, the in sweet the spot, the real sweet spot of ancient history. So I'm hoping that sort of ethnic purity is going to be a significant focus of the
2: film, which I imagine yeah. will be. Well, most of the Ottoman films are pretty nationalistic. They are actually, aren't they? Well. We saw this as a joke, but are there any car- diverse characters in Wallace and Gromit? I know it's not really a point because it's set in a sort of fictional... There's not that many human provincial... characters at all,
1: Like, are there? Yeah. So there's not that much room for diversity, but I honestly don't know. It's a good question. we would to have to investigate that one. Do you we'll think... be back next week to give you a judgment on whether uh, Nick Park is uh, secretly racist or not. He's <laughs> <laughs> probably not, is he? Well, he knows He knows You never know until you look into these things I certainly hope he isn't Thanks, Dougal Thanks, Dougal You <laughs> really inspired us to go on a sort of very odd tangents there
2: No, but it all came full circle That was that was top radio Superhero films
1: announced Casting rumours leaking out M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid Michael Bay's made a mint
2: Brit. So one of our favourite films from last year was I, Daniel Blake. And a new story has emerged this week that I, Daniel Blake himself, the actor Dave Johns, has just been signed to a exciting new British film by uh, Gary Young, who was the writer of Harry Brown. And he's joining Katie Jarvis, who was the breakout star of *Fish Tank*. And the other day I was thinking, like, where's Katie Jarvis? She was making that film. Well, she's in this film and uh there's katie jarvis katie jarvis and kathy tyson who was the lead in mona lisa so it's like three iconic british character actors in the same movie and the film is going to be about a doctor of apology played by tyson whose son was murdered and believing she has tracked down the young man responsible for his death she captures and tortures him which only leads to more tragedy laugh a minute laugh a minute yeah so i'm very pleased that dave johns is getting more roles Because he was so good in that movie.
1: This sounds like a bit of a departure as well. It's not like, we need you for another gentle, smiling northerner, please.
2: Well, I was going to say that, do you think there's something in... There's not that many roles for working class actors in general. And also, that is somewhat compounded by the fact that... uh, Movies they break out in are these social realist films... Where the acting is invisible to the point that people will just associate with that role more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so... I think when people see the poster, but be like, Daniel Blake is now, uh, you know, he's so... What, he's recovered from his uh, heart condition, <laughs> and he's yeah. he's in films now? I mean, I'm excited it's going to work. Harry Brown is a bit of a politically ugly movie, and this film sounds well, that's like that's what I thought when I saw it. I was like, Harry Brown, like, isn't that some sort of like ultra-reactionary,
1: like, the Asbo kids need to be shot to death or something? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> We need to get Carter to <laughs> shoot these Asbo kids. <laughs> That is basically the film. Isn't it like Gran Torino, London edition or something?
2: Yeah, essentially. So I'm hoping that, <laughs> I mean, it all points towards a slightly right-wing Daily Mail view of Britain. Yeah.
1: But... Well, it's. I think it's very hard to make a film about kidnapping and torturing criminals that is not in some way reactionary. I think you fall into 24-type areas like, true. pretty rapidly. But you never know. You never know where it's going to go. Did you see sort of promise in Harry Brown? I mean, did it seem like something where it's like a thriller that had unfortunate politi- political implications? Or did it seem more like something that's written with like, you know, damn these kids kind of a attitude? Yeah,
2: I mean, it was all held together because Michael Caine is so good in it. And it was definitely his sort of British cinema heft. The fact that he, you know, has been in making British films since the 60s gave it some kind of power. I mean, it's a kind of pretty ugly movie in the way it's just kind of like dumb. So like all the, as- there's no nuance to the Asbo characters. This is kind of feral. They might as well just be zombies. Cause yeah. They have yeah, yeah. Character. So I don't know if it's just a case of just lack of nuance in the writing. It's not really making a point, but just couldn't be asked to give backstories to these uh, antagonists. Hmm.
1: Yeah. What you were just taking it back briefly to what you were saying about the representation of uh, working class people on screen. I think it's a, I think it's a really good point. Especially outside London, I think, because, like, there's this sort of Noel Clark movies and, and stuff like that. I think you, I feel like you're more used to seeing inner city, young, working-class kids in movies, even things like Attack the Block. Yeah. But um, outside of London, in the north, like, that seems uh, rarer. But there is a strain of these semi-social realist, like, semi-genre films uh, set in the north, like... Um, Shane Meadows movies yeah. and um, Catch Me Daddy, which came out recently,
2: um, or even something like Shallow Grave, like Danny Boyle's Yeah, I mean, that's what like a genre movie when it's really working is like, you know, like Get Out, I guess, was, you know, yeah. it's a big crowd pleaser, but it's got something to say. But it's sort of set in a real place and is like, yeah. about real things. And
1: uh, that sort of model feels like quite a good way to break out of that, like social realist trap of yeah, like, yeah. every film has got to be about how, you know, Dirty, my uh, kitchen is getting, and I can't afford to clean it or whatever. Yeah. Um. And uh, yeah. So so may- maybe this will this will be of, of that kind. Yeah. Have to wait. We we'll have to wait and see. Absolutely. But yeah, it's cool. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
2: What is the Dave Johns of America up to? By which I mean Robert Downey Jr.
1: Well, <laughs> I Downey. I'm, I'm, so, I'm so glad you asked. What is I Downey Jr. doing? It's hard to think of Dave Johns without immediately thinking of Iron Man.
2: The comparisons are there. They are absolutely They're obvious, there. and uh, there's no point in me mentioning them.
1: No, they don't need to be adumbrated.
2: Well, at the end of Iron Man 1, he says, I'm Iron Man, and... Uh, and and he, in Daniel Blake, he, uh, he very often says, I, I am Daniel Blake. <laughs> <laughs> and then Iron Man by Black Sniper kicks in and then... goes, <laughs> I, I am I Daniel, Daniel
1: Blake. Blake. <laughs> I <laughs> am Daniel Blake. Anyway, yes. So, Robert Danny Jr., everyone's favorite superhero, he is trying out different stuff. Uh, he's Sherlock Holmes occasionally. Um, and, uh, you say that, but. <laughs> twice he's been that. <laughs> Mainly he was in he's that movie a, The Judge. He's in he, The Judge. He, he, he was in that film where he had to go cross-country with Zach Galifianakis. Due and he, date. Due date, yeah. But even
2: that was a while ago. Mainly plays Iron Man these days.
1: He's mostly Iron Man and, like, uh, visiting ill children and doing good works of those kinds and posting on Instagram, whatever. But he is trying out other stuff, non-Iron Man things, and he's looking to star in a movie called The Voyage of Dr. Doolator. So Dr. Doolator is going to return to our screens he is, of course, the star of a bunch of children's books in the 1920s as a doctor who can talk to the animals. And they, he has appeared on our screens a couple times before, most recently being played by Eddie Murphy in a movie in the late 90s and then a sequel in 2001. And it's going to be directed, interestingly, by Stephen Gagan, who is the guy who directed Siriana and then recently Gold, the Matthew McConaughey film.
2: Ob- so, obvious choice. So it does seem a bit like... Was there a scene in Siriana where like George Lee talked to an animal? With his big beard, I believe there was yes. I believe. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> a lot. Mostly, it's like almost impenetrable sort of geopolitics with like eight thousand characters all being evil to each other. But there is one scene in which George Clooney spends thirty-five minutes talking to a goat about uh, American the conduct of American foreign policy yeah. in the Middle East.
2: And then five years later, he met the man who stare at goats because he has such a good experience talking to that goat.
1: Yeah, because from that experience, he was like, is there any way I can do more of this? And he found the one product going that <laughs> were him to do so. Yeah, this one does seem a bit like um, a tombola of random names that's been plucked out. Yeah, it's yeah. like, a random property that exists. Do it Who's <laughs> going to play it? I don't know. Daddy Jr. Who's directing it? Well, let me just look at my ancient DVD collection. The Syriana guy. Why yeah, not? Yeah. There's, uh, there's basically no other information about this project. Except for what I've said, so we have to talk about it on those terms. You, you've seen the Doolittle films, have you not? I've, I've seen all of them. You've seen every. You've seen every appearance of Doolittle on our screens. Yeah,
2: mainly the old. I think is it 60s musical version with Rex Harrison. That is correct. Um, yes. Which is I remember enjoying a lot. I'm checking uh, my notes and you are correct. And then like the Eddie Murphy ones are just the concept and nothing taken from the books really at all. So I wonder if he's going to just do his Sherlock Holmes voice and be a sort of eccentric Englishman. It's going to be a period piece, like a sort of like uh, the Doctor Dolittle, the old one is a bit like a sort of lesser Chitty Chitty Bang Bang type movie. You know, right, just yeah. kind of whimsical British provincial characters and they're like short stories that have been tied together with a loose plot and they spend all the money on puppets. Right. Right. <laughs> I was gonna say Robert Downey Jr. he's you know, he's got all the money in the world, right? He loves playing Iron Man. He's a huge blockbuster star. But he's a bit like Johnny Depp in that I feel like his most interesting acting work was before he became bankable. And now he just wants to be awesome in films, which is fair enough, you know, people pay him to do that. But it's also like Johnny Depp in that he thinks that
1: there is nothing more hilarious than himself doing a posh English accent. Yeah, exactly. So, so this has more oil... has more success than Mordecai.
2: Yeah, but I I don't know if I was going to chart Robert Downey Jr.'s performances. I think his sort of like post rehab, before Iron Man period, when he'd like Zodiac and Kisses Bang Bang, that was some of his more interesting performances. And now he just sort of does that thing. Well, which you is could fair I mean enough. you could put Iron Man one into that bracket. Yeah, because it was a great
1: performance. Yeah, but that's it's true. just But kind of become now, yeah, his know, thing. His thing, yeah.
2: But yeah, maybe it'll be a fun romp of a movie. I don't I'm not really sure if the Syriana guy is the guy to. uh hasn't really demonstrated a whimsical touch before i don't think but maybe he has that gear to shift into
1: yeah um seems like a bit of a random project it seems like the sort of like it's a bit like he works in some giant firm and gold didn't do as well as expected and then it's like it's, you know it's like being sent to the mail room now it's like and now you have to direct this stupid at talking animal film with one of the country's most irritatingly egotistical stars <laughs> enjoy He's going to be doing an unbelievably annoying accent all
2: day long. You know what I hope they do, though, in this new movie? Is I hope they have real animals. If it's like some CGI animals, that's it's going to be bullshit. Well, it
1: wouldn't be funny when they talk. Yeah, exactly. It's got to be funny when the animals talk, right? They've got to use that. If they can dredge out that expensive machine uh, they used to do, the talking cat from uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, Yeah. Um, the, a show that cost $50 million per episode because of the cat technology. Yeah. Uh, and use that for the other animals i think we'll be on to a winner absolutely especially if they will have that kind of like rich um plummy american voice that the cat the cat from Sabrina Teenage Witch had. Salem Salem that's the guy great talking animal character so i completely reverse my opinion bring it on bring it on as long as the animals are real and voiced by the guy did Salem voiced by the Salem dude and then we'll be happy and then it'll get five stars on film chat and that's a film chat
2: promise you heard it here first on Film Chat. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it astonishingly poor? How
1: did Danny, for the judgment we're about to hear, his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then
2: Sam will tell him off.
1: Okay, Danny. All this panic is a very exciting name for a film. It is a documentary. Boring. You've you've been reviewing so many of them lately. Come on. What about Kong Skull Island? Give me a break.
2: This is why. You are just an uh, idiot, and I am the smartest man in the world.
1: I went, I, oh, we'll talk about this more in a second, but I've been sort of not that great in following your like indie film recommendations to me. And then I did go to see a film you told me to see, and it was fucking terrible. So I, that's true. <laughs> I, I was like, I was, was like, terrible. oh, burn! You burned me. I'm not gonna burn by this again. I'm, mean, I'm never seeing a movie that you that you suggest I see again. It's just gonna be like, but major blockbusters from now on. But here's your last chance to sell it to me. Okay. All This Panic.
2: Okay. I'm going to deliberately start recommending films I know are great, just so you don't see them. (laughs) (laughs) Just to fuck you over. So All This Panic is directed by this woman called Jenny Gage, and it is shot by her husband, Tom Betterton. And this is their first film, and their background is in fashion photography. And it's all about the seven different teenage girls who are loosely in the same friendship group, and they shot them over a three-year period from the time when they're about 17 till their uh, early 20s. So this is the final year of high school into university. And it's the kind of portrait of this turbulent period where all your fears and anxieties and hopes and dreams, all that stuff, which is now a distant memory to me. I remember being a foolish teenager. Now I'm I'm with it. I'm cool. I've solely sorted my life out. I understand everything. I'm totally secure in everything I do. It is nice to have completely sorted my life out, unlike when I was 17. Unlike when I was 17. I felt so sorry for these girls. They don't know. It's all going to be fine. It's not going to be fine. It's not. So I really liked it. It's a very impressionistic film, which doesn't really have a very strong concept or structure to it, but it's more just a collection of really well-observed moments um, put together to form like a thematic journey. And it really amused me. And this might be a bit of a broad statement and might be ruining my ignorance here, but I think it captures the intensity of female teenage relationships, which in my experience are far more intense than male ones. And it reminded me of my sister and her friends and my female friends in the way that they could fall out very suddenly and then be best friends again very quickly. Everything yeah. is so heightened and, you know, everything is the most dramatic thing because yeah. it is.
1: Well, in you, male, you in male b- friendships, whenever, whenever there's like a disagreement, people just like get their dicks sound laugh.
2: Exactly.
1: And then it's all just fine. Just fart in each other's faces. Yeah, you and just fart in everyone's face and then like, you know,
2: everyone like bonds over the red eye. <laughs> just a bit of red-eye bonding, and you're fine. And it's a very well-paced film, but just by having seven different characters, it flits between them, so it's never boring because if you ever get tired of one character, there's another person. And they're all very relatable, and some of them are very disarmingly confident and wise, far as, like, how are these oh, people 17? I don't 17, like that. I don't like know? that. And uh, I've seen some reviews that have compared it to Richard Linklater movies. I guess there's a comparison in the sort of boyhood filming people over a time Uh, filming conditions but it's also true in that well it's a compliment to his films in that his characters are like these sort of teenagers who are slightly pretentious but kind of arty and worldy but that's actually what teenagers are like and their insights about the world and stuff are actually very on point i think very insightful and it's like jesus this Child is intelligent when I was 17. I was too busy crying and masturbating. What's going on? Well, are those if, someone had, if someone had
1: followed me around for five years recording everything I said all the time, I would be terrified. <laughs> I'd be like, What kind of
2: fucking garbage was I spousing? Exactly. Maybe there was a lot of garbage they've cut out yeah. to just to show these women in a nice light. And it's got that thing which is similar to boyhood or like Gleason was talking about last week where it's just amazing to watch someone age in three years in 80 minutes. Yeah. And you see these girls when they're like very physically different. They're sort of in the middle of puberty where they're slightly gangly. And, you know, as you You've are a, a woman's legs and a child's head. <laughs> doesn't make sense. A baby's fingers and, <laughs> and an old lady's elbow. And then it all evens out. It all evens out. But yeah, it's like they look very young. And then in three years, like, wow, okay. You're actually a grown person now. Uh, I was going to sorry, can I ask? Yeah, by yeah. All means. Um,
1: the, uh, the danger that I would imagine from the surgeon matter of the movie is that um it would be just like hanging out with irritating, brattish teens. Yeah. You know, because if someone was like, do you want to spend 90 minutes just hanging out with like five 17-year-old girls while they all talk to each other? I'd be like, I don't probably not (laughs) like you know obviously the the process of growing up is relatable but i i could imagine there being a danger that it would just be like watching a sort of really bad episode of girls but you know with even younger and more self-involved well or they is it just that they've like found um girls who are who are interesting and who you want to hear talk and like you know absolutely enjoy there was
2: there's definitely a couple of the characters who are a bit like that
1: maybe a better way for me to make a comment is just like did you find any
2: of them irritating like were they all nice well you find them irritating then you sort of learn stuff about them right right so there's like one character's like oh you're a bit you're like get over yourself and you're like oh shit that's your life okay sorry about that sorry right. about that mental comment i made <laughs> i take it all back yeah so i would uh, recommend it it's a very short film it's 80 minutes and it basically just achieves what it sets out to do in that it's very funny it's very insightful and like very universal just because of its subject matter, and they're very relatable, these characters, because we all feel a bit lonely and afraid and scared of the future at that age. So, well worth a watch. It will be on at all your usual art house haunts, and then I imagine it'll be on demand. So if you're a woke guy, and you want to know what it's like to be a lady going through puberty, watch this movie. Don't want to say it like this.
1: I do want to know that, and I will do that. (laughs) just trying to inhabit the perfect audience response.
0: <laughs>
1: Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're going to hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. Let's <laughs> join
0: between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak? Or do they interrupt each other? The light is on. The guys are in. So let the chat begin.
1: Okay, The Eyes of My Mother. This is going to be the middle film in our little three-film tour of the indie film scene. It is a directorial debut directed by a guy called Nicholas Pesce. P- Pesce or PC? Or we whatever. don't know. We don't know. It premiered uh, last year's Sundance Film Festival and toured the festival circuit and got uh, pro- well, a mixed reception, but it got a lot of very positive reviews. True. Um, you saw it at London Film Festival. I right? did. And, with uh, it on, with on the back
2: of its good buzz. With... Uh mr pesh or pesca himself introducing it
1: yeah and uh we got a preview i uh, got to see a preview screening of it and i went on to watch it it is not good it's very hard to watch it's both sort of boring and gruesome <laughs> um it drags it's it, only 70 minutes long <laughs> it drags it features a lot of actual dragging um and it also drags like <laughs> uh, in pace so basically the setup is um it's about a a young woman called Francisca, or Francisca who lives with her uh, mother and father. And we see her at the beginning as a little girl. Um, it's all shot in like crisp black and white. It looks like a Bergman film or something. Um, it's a period film, uh, so in like I know, the 50s, probably, or something like that. You know, the, past, the, the past and everything was cool. Um, and everyone wore lovely floor dresses and stuff. Um, and at the beginning of the movie, her home is uh, invaded by a stranger, um, and this has a big impact on her. And then later on in life, we see her grown up um, and she's become a kind of like twisted, insane.
2: Uh, Yo, man, be careful know, if you fight monsters. You, be- you become them. You, monsters. Get, you, get, you get weird, Nietzsche, bro.
1: You do some dark. So you, yeah. So like in, in, there's like a lot of very, very slow shots of it. You some extremely twisted and violent things to a, to a string of different people. Um, and that's basically it. It's kind of broken up into chapters with sort of some kind of Freudian family messaging. I think my, like, slight concerns about the movie's pretentiousness was tipped off when, like, the chapter headings all have, like, Roman numerals and, yeah. you know. I mean, the use of them in and of itself, I feel like it's a Just bold thing one. to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I associate them with, like, Tarantino, and when he does the chapter headings thing, it's very self-consciously, like, I'm making an epic movie with a, on a huge canvas and, you know... And it's just like to kind of give it this novelistic sweep. And the films then have to justify doing that. And he speaks, without wanting to go into too much of a Tarantino tangent, he speaks about how, like, making artistic decisions that are like throwing down a gauntlet and saying that now a movie has to live up to this. It's like the sort of thing he says about this, the theme music of Pulp Fiction. You know, sure. it's so awesome. It's like now the film has to be this good. And I, chapter headings, I feel like a similar kind of thing. And that if you, if you put them in, it's like saying that I've got a thing to say. It's like, this is a meaningful film. Well, here's there's the there's crux an, there's the analysis. And Exactly. And like, this is the problem with the film is that it's made in this very self-consciously arty style, very slow, very, it has to be said very beautifully photographed, but a lot of like lingering shots, everyone does everything in a very stately pace. And with these touches, like the chapter headings and all these like artistic flourishes, like the book, it's in black and white that suggests that there's some kind of program behind the movie or some ideas informing it. And it really, it really is just that it looks cool. Yeah. It's um, a very
2: empty movie.
1: Well, the, the, the press pack that came with the preview screening um, had an interview with him in which he said that he sees himself as a visual storyteller foremost or something like that. And what that really means is like, he just likes pretty pictures. Well, yeah. And there is very little story to tell, really, with this movie. And I think what sort of gave me such a negative reaction from watching it is that it's a very surface kind of film, but the way in which it tries to invest itself with meaning is so hard to watch because it's so gruesome.
2: Yeah, it's sadistic. It's,
1: it's sadistic. Yeah, it's just. But it's just...
2: Uh, it's pointless.
1: It's just for its own sake. It's... it's like it's like Eli Roth. It's like an it's like Saw or something, or like an Eli Roth movie, but with the aesthetics of you know a
2: Bergman film. Well, basically, there's just like, uh, there's nothing about it that's real. It's okay there's a heightened world, but there's no psychological realism. There's no emotional realism. It's just, uh, you sent me this one review, it's like, it exists in a void of contrivance. Yeah, yeah. Where basically things just happen because the director thought, isn't this a bit fucked up? Let's do this. And I'm just echoing what you're saying now, but it's, it's okay for a film to be a bit empty and just look pretty, but it's got to have some reason for you to watch it. And because it's so sadistic and needlessly violent, that's just not fun to watch and it's not in service of anything. So it's okay if your film's really violent if it's in service or something and it's okay if your film's a bit empty if it's fun to watch. But this is like the venn diagram of both of those yeah. in the middle is like the unwatchable worst attributes from both those types of movies
1: yeah absolutely yeah it made me feel like i was watching a, like a school play it's like a student film yeah very. i, it's, I mean it's very yeah. obviously a student film like he, he clearly is the sort of uh Got the david
2: lynch razorhead poster on his wall yeah
1: yeah 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 but like he probably made some great grad film you know that he spent forever on and everything and it's very meticulously made it's obviously a passion project but it feels like the it feels really immature, basically, yeah. you know, like it's basically like let's dress up and do some fucked up things. But with a big budget and a lot of time and effort put into it. And yeah. and it's weird seeing it getting all these all
2: these raves. I think it's real like Emperor's New Clothes sort of thing. It just looks pretty.
1: Yeah, it looks pretty. But it's like it's it looks pretty, but it's not even like put together. Well, like the pacing of it is off. It's just all the shots take too long. There are shots that take forever for absolutely no reason.
2: That's how you know it's important. That's how you know
1: it's important. Is that, well? Like, but that's such an obviously empty gesture towards like meaning, you know? You can tell it doesn't have the rhythms of a of an assured filmmaker, you know? No. Nah. It just has the photography of one. <laughs> basically. <laughs> if you, you could browse the still images of it on Google and that's probably the best way to experience the movie.
2: Yeah, when I put this review on YouTube, the images that will accompany it will be better than the film. Yes, itself. That's the way. That's yeah. the, way YouTube, the way. If you're watching this on YouTube, you're watching the best version of the film <laughs> right now.
1: My favorite film stars Bridget Bardot. She's the queen, but she wants to be in radio, so she starts a podcast with her friends. And the terrorists try to stop her, but she beats them in the end.
2: So Operation Avalanche. This is the new film by Matt Johnson. He made a bit of a name for himself a few years ago with the film The Dirties, which is very good. I'd highly recommend it. It's all about uh, two film students who are making this student film, but then one of them might be taking the film too seriously. And it was a really inventive indie film. I love that. that like,
1: if you'd asked me, if I watched this movie and you were like, what was the debut movie this guy about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I basically would have guessed exactly that.
2: Yeah. And so following from that, he's got a bit more of a budget and how to use it. He obviously made a film about two students. film, film like... geeks <laughs> at the CIA who go to NASA during the space race because there's a Russian mole and they go there to investigate who the Russian mole is but while there they learn that NASA in fact cannot land on the moon in 1969 as JFK promised and so being the ambitious film nerd he is he decides that he can fake the moon landing and thus preserve America's greatness and here is a clip of Matt Johnson pitching him and his partner played by Owen Williams to be the guys to investigate the Russian mole
0: Actually, Director Brackett, I'd like to make a pitch for major research to be moved onto Operation Zipper next. What the hell are you doing? You guys are trying to put a
1: field agent inside NASA posing as a scientist, and Agent Williams and I don't think it will work. This mole, if he's there,
2: could have been at NASA since the early 60s. He's going to spot one of our guys pretending to be a rocket scientist instantly. We need to send people who are going to
1: look like they have no idea what's going on. Us, as a documentary film crew, we can pretend that we're from the National Education Television Network filming the definitive Apollo
0: documentary. We're there to chart the race to the moon. Smart idea. No Soviet mole is going to let anyone openly film them. Well, Director Brackett, we're filming you right now through the window.
2: So I really loved it i think it's got a lot of flaws but it's done with such exuberance and such fun it's kind of like the opposite of eyes of my mother in that they're both made by these film geeks but one of them you imagine would be fun to hang out with yeah exactly and yeah, uh, matt johnson who wrote directed and starred and he's basically sort of playing himself he's exactly the same character from the dirties uh, i think he just has a lot of sort of boyish charm that kind of carries you through some of the more outlandish moments in the film
1: yeah, I mean, uh, definitely part of the charm of it is that you can see so clearly his own personality reflected in the film itself and in his own character. Someone who, in the film, is this sort of driven guy who will stop at nothing to achieve his goals, except he's really nice and his goals are always charming and, <laughs> uh, and he's super creative. And it's like, I love how his creativity and invention that goes into the movie is reflected in his character as his character makes the movie. Yeah, And, and that... You can, you know, go uh, overboard with the meta stuff, but the the film is never really about meta commentary. So it's not trying to, you know, make any kind of comment with it. It's just charming. It's just like a charming fast of the film.
2: Yeah, I should explain a little. It's like, it is... Sort of a mockumentary, loosely, but a, it really stretches the definition of a mockumentary. Like, why are they still filming this? It's this
1: kind of like, but yeah, it's like it's like a found footage movie, but it it, it obviously devolves into that thing like all yeah. found footage films where like any human being would not be shooting that now, but it, like yeah. they do anyway. Exactly. Especially in an age when like you know film was expensive and <laughs> yeah, they're, they're burning on, yeah. a lot of it. It makes no sense. Yeah,
2: but to make the film because it was still low budget, they went to NASA where they have ground control preserved for all these tours and pretended to be. A documentary film crew as they do in the movie but just dressed in 60s suits and then use that footage in displaced of archive material. So a bit like the Dirties, like all the you could say limitations of their production is sort of built into the plot in Mm -hmm. a way which makes you forgive a lot of it. It's about a group of filmmakers infiltrating NASA and then trying to fake the moon landing by hustling their way through it. But in reality it's about a group of filmmakers infiltrating NASA and sort of hustling to make this movie. And it really reminded me of french new wave movies and there's a similar aesthetic there because it's all 16 mil and kind of shot on the hoof but i think mockumentaries like those early films have a similar kind of grammar because you can have jump cuts and things just like zip forward incredibly quickly and you have to obey any sort of narrative you can take a lot of narrative shortcuts in mockumentaries which gives the film like Loads of pace, and also in the like framing, whatever. You don't yeah. really think that too much about it. Yeah, exactly. And so it, you know, it gets away with a lot of stuff, which you think if it was a more, if it had a more conventional aesthetic, it wouldn't nearly be as good because they'd have to explain things more. But it also sort of uses the mockumentary form to like do some really inventive stuff. So there's like a sort of quite prolonged action sequence. But I've never seen like a really long action sequence. Mockumentary in a movie this low budget. It's really well done as well. It's like this really good, like one take sequence. Yeah. Which is like, I thought this, you think the movie's run out of money by this point, but and suddenly they have a of...
1: Well, it was kind of constantly surprising me with how good it looks. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those films where it looks like every single cent of the budget is on the screen. And for all its obvious origins as a kind of independent project by these guys, it's like, I thought it looks really good. You know, they've got all these period yeah, cars yeah. and. Uh, what you're saying about the the mockumentary style another thing that i quite like about it is that the moments that have a kind of cinematic quality or lyricism to them come kind of have a like an element of surprise like pleasant surprise yeah it's like suddenly like oh this is like a shot from a you know it looks kind of beautiful it's like or things will slow down for a second rather than being all these like cuts and uh you know it will just breathe and we'll have a cool moment and uh they made some very, very smart decisions, I think, about where to spend their money to make those moments extra effective. And I think end-loading the budget of your film is a smart decision. Yeah. Because a lot of movies don't do that, and they blow their ward at the beginning. And then, you know, you there's an audience, you've seen it. Yeah, yeah. And in this movie, you really haven't seen it. I mean, it's described as a thriller, but it wouldn't be a thriller if it weren't for the last 25 minutes of the movie, basically. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, everyone would just be calling it, like, a charming farce or something like that and then it kind of kicks up a gear and the movie keeps
2: pace with its scripts twists and turns in a really compelling way yeah i would say like having seen the dirties it's like the film you're really glad he made it wasn't just like a one because it is very similar ideas are in them but it's like i've got a budget and more ambition and he, you know, he really goes for it mm. And I'm just really excited for his next film. Apparently, it's going to be about uh, Albert Einstein inventing a time machine for the Nazis. And then a Mossad agent comes back in time to try and uh, kill Hitler. Cool. Sounds like fun. I <laughs> hope it's a mockumentary of like a 35 mil. <laughs> I hope he plays an
1: earnest young Apparently film Werner is going to be in it. Wow, really?
2: Yeah, sounds nuts.
1: Yeah, he's a bit like, he, he reminded me a bit of like Taika Waititi or like Edgar Wright. These sort of uh, really technically accomplished but super fun filmmakers, you know these guys who are um, have ambition, like real cinematic ambition, but also like a real sense of like fun and pace, and you know it's like yeah. that meticulous attention to detail, but also that kind of like fizz pop uh, entertainment. Absolutely. So yeah, I, yeah, I definitely recommend Highly it. it. Much, it's on... much better than Eyes of My Mother. Much better. Is it nice when you can recommend the movie that's fun to watch? It's yeah. d- it's not like oh it was kind of fun but the quality wasn't that bad the really good film is this like fucking torture like yeah. you know <laughs> miserable like you know you don't have to so you don't have to put yourself through that to get the quality just no. watch the the yeah, both enjoyable and better film
2: absolutely it's on um iTunes video on demand the reason we're reviewing it now is because it just came out in the UK I think it's also in DVD so I don't think it's in any cinemas because bloody I don't know. Kong Skull is taking up all the screens Fuck Kong. You Kong Kong's too fucking big fucking Lego
1: Batman is still out or something
2: yeah but highly recommend yeah check it out check it out
1: when Zach Graff heard something that changed his life what he listened to film child. when John Cusack made a mistake for his future wife what did she listen to film child. when Michael Madsen cut a guy's ear off what was he dancing to and when Tim Robinson showed that had enough, which record did he choose?
2: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Okay, Danny, it's the final segment of the show, which I like to call Hot Take Hour.
2: Hot Take Hour? You've prepared a hot take, have you not? Well, we haven't reviewed Beauty and the Beast. We're well, probably we the only people it? who haven't seen it. Made a shit ton of money over the weekend. Uh, Everyone was excited to see it. The reviews have been sort of mixed to positive.
1: I'm too loyal to the original cartoon. I refuse. I don't want to see them in in full uh, human
2: flesh and beast flesh. Well, I'm the same. But something I was thinking is that how when they uh, redo these fairy tales, there's an opportunity to re-examine the morals of the fairy tales because these stories are 100 years old. And they, you know, they modernize them a bit in a sort of, uh, you know, they have some sort of 90s comedy aspects to them. Yeah. But now are they morally up to scratch?
1: Well, yeah. Sometimes they can reflect, you know, uh, progressive values. Exactly. Usually usually what modernism means is that, like, the female characters are, like, feistier.
2: That's true. That's usually the main modernizing thing. So the thing I was thinking with Beauty and the Beast, here's my hot take, what I think would be a better ending. He just stays the beast. Because she marries the beast. Isn't it all about learning to love who you are, not judging appearances. Chief falls in love with him when he's the beast. So why should he have to change into a dude? Yeah. I agree, no, I agree completely. And it's, tra- it's having its cake and eating it as well. I think it'd be more progressive. Also, I was trying to like maybe this is really stretching the point. But the real world equivalent of being the beast would be somebody not being cursed, but somebody just being in an accident or something getting disfigured Mm -hmm. they can't reconstruct their face they just have to you know they just have to live with their new appearance get past it realize it's not the most important thing in the world but this is like quite a tried and tested fairy tale
1: formula right there's like quite a few stories yeah in fairy tales in which like you know the handsome knight uh disdains the old crone and then like yeah, you know yeah. then it turns out she was actually a beautiful young woman and he's like oh damn what am i oh no damn oh
0: damn,
1: <laughs> oh, damn. uh thereby learning the lesson that he should have been nice to the old crane but of course he doesn't read it down that lesson because you know the only reason that he cares is because it turned out she wasn't actually like that yeah and this is the same it's like um you know except the behavior is a bit different but it's like your reward for um, gently stroking the hair of this hideous creature is to that they're transformed into a beautiful person. Yeah. It's just like in the, you know, in the princess and the frog, she should just marry a frog. If you, if you like the frog for his qualities as yeah. a person, right, that's it. You've got to marry that. This is a cartoon, you know. I don't think it matters. You Not just, at all. The frog stays the frog.
2: And I was thinking on a similar, another story says this sort of similar ending is Shrek which yeah. is supposed to be the sort of postmodern fairy tale. But then at the end, like, Fiona wants to marry Shrek, but she, her curse doesn't get lifted. Yeah, that's like the twist, right? She but. just remains the ogre. But why can't the ogre marry the princess? Why is there going to be this racial symmetry? And this issue is compounded by the fact that the donkey and the dragon end up together. Yeah, so and, and
1: not only do they end up together, they have
2: babies. They have, like, these, like, babies. Donkey-dragon hybrid babies. Yeah. So I mean, if there's like a sort of racial metaphor to Shrek, it's like thank God I fell in love with this black guy, but I've also become black, or I fell in love with this <laughs> white guy and I was from white, you know? Yeah, absolutely.
1: No, it's like the uh, yeah, there's this odd kind of racial purity aspect to
2: the to the uh, anti-miscegenation, I guess I should say. Yeah. So I feel like you know, if Disney's gonna remake these things, they should revisit them and it'd be a way to, um, you know, a lot of people have complained that and the Beast is just a carbon copy of the cartoon. I think you got to be more bold. You got to reflect contemporary woker attitudes. It should be that the spell lifts
1: and his hair just grows more lustrous and yeah. it gets he gets a glossier coat and his uh, uh his the, the clothes he's wearing get a little more less tattered or something. You know what I yeah. mean? He just gets a little makeover. Yeah. he basically goes through it's like a, a uh, Stogmaria Void. Absolutely. And the robot voice from Stogmaria Void is like, you got to lose the um the extensions on your main you know they're well, tacky are, they're tacky <laughs> so, they're so 2015 yeah and uh and, and you know whatever don't stop dyeing your eyebrow fur so much or whatever um and then he just comes out looking like a classier beast and that's what she gets and there's yeah. a bit where she's like oh i thought you're gonna be a handsome prince but then she realizes she's being you know shallow yeah. i mean there are other problematic aspects to the story as well which is that like it does involve you know he does behave quite cruelly, doesn't he? Yeah. I mean, in a way, the angry mob is somewhat justified. Let's be fair. It's true. Basically, in the movie, the problem is that, uh, or in the story, that uh, he is a acts like a gentleman, and the men of the town act like pigs. But like, only one of those people kidnaps her father. You know? Yeah. Like, she has much more reason to be anti-beast than like anti-Gaston. To be honest, he's it's just true. like a jerk. But he's an actual, like, kidnapper. That's true. (laughs) The beast is, yeah. What if he wasn't rich? I mean, what if, like, uh, he kidnapped her father, but he had to live in some kind of hovel, and uh, instead of having adorable talking cutlery, you just have some sort of grouchy, leering rock who just sort of tells you how nice your ass looks. No, 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 it's not. not.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Our master's gonna, it wasn't you to have dinner with him tonight. Yeah. Keeping it tight, keeping it tight. Belle. see why he's kidnapped you, Belle. <laughs> you know, yeah. then he
1: wouldn't. Then it wouldn't seem so like great. And then she's like, she just falls in love with the castle, and the, it's know, true. It's
2: just, she she, just, it... she literally falls in love with the cutlery. Yeah, she, exactly. I can't she's she's wait just to in get a get nice. She's just in a nice place. You know what I also think is a problem with this new adaptation is that there was, I mean, once. Hand is admiral, But they made LeFou Openly gay And that apparently Has caused like Russia not to book The movie here with this Wait LeFou. remind me what, Oh no there's LeFou, like
1: it was, Is it Gaston's like Little uh, Little um, Little uh, uh, Friend His sort of um, yeah, he Kiss worship friend his yeah.
2: friend It's like why Is the gay character The most like Pathetic character In the movie Yeah Why can't Gaston be gay Which Luke Evans Is openly gay So um, mm. And maybe that's like He has to Gaston's all about ri- It wouldn't make that much sense Like No no It would make sense Because it's all about trying to uh adhere to this like absurd paradigm of masculinity he's just all a show but he's actually i don't i don't even like girls he's he's just compensating i'm just compensating because i feel i have to impress these idiots you know why appearances don't matter you know why why that's true
1: actually what 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 is good about that is that like at the beginning it's it is all about like her failing to conform to gender roles right because she likes books and stuff and she's not as domestic as other yeah yeah as the other women of the town she's too intellectual and, you know, then it turns out that Gaston also suffers under the yoke of Genesis, yes. you know, roles. Toxic masculinity, he feels obliged to be, you know, dripping with testosterone when yeah. he doesn't really want to be. And then, like, his, his, is his defeat make... at the hand of the beast, you know, leads him to realize... Liberates him. Liberates him, and he, and he just becomes, like, much more like himself. And you know, then he takes up reading, and he becomes a, the town's clerk or something. I don't know.
2: God, <laughs> this is a great movie we just pitched.
1: Much better, much better film. Doesn't he die? He dies, doesn't he?
2: Yeah, well, he stabs the beast. He stabs the beast. And he falls of a cliff or something.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, this is a ki- this is a kidnapping uh, tyrannical creature. He's genuinely dangerous. That beast. Yeah. You know, it's not like. Uh, well, I don't know. I was trying to think of other like torch um, wielding pitchfork mobs, but they do tend to be like going to the castles of genuinely quite dangerous things. <laughs> I feel like I've got a lot of sympathy for the pitchfork mob. To be honest, I think they got their head screwed on. Yeah, I'm with the mob. I'm with the mob. <laughs> Fuck the beast and the beauty. Fuck the beast with the mob. Yeah, I'm with Gaston. He's especially good at expectorating, so I like him.
2: I've heard that. Anyway, guys, thanks so much for listening. Join us next week where we'll be reviewing. The Void, this horror movie I saw. Free Fire, like So really many horror movies these days. Uh, yeah. Some other stuff is coming out. Maybe Zed. Z, I hear that's really good. Maybe Personal Shopper. Isn't that supposed I to be good I hear that's supposed well? to be good as well.
1: Wow. wow. Could wow. be a bumper one, depends how much we get we get done on the film watching front. Yeah. So See so you yeah. then. See you.
2: Thanks. you. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Go. Bye. Bye. Go. Go.
0: Of course one can't say what one's favorite movie is of all time because it depends on what mood you're in. But in the mood I'm in right now, it's Fargo. I think that is an American classic. It's a great film. It's very funny, very poignant, has tremendous edge. And it's totally brilliant. I mean, every single department. The art department, the acting, the the photography, the script, everything. And, um... It says more to me about America than pretty much everything. Uh, My other one would be Goodfellas. I think that's, and why that never won for Marty the Oscar, I'll never know, because it just shows you all these awards are ridiculous, really.